0: I'm going to repeat a few verses from last week. Just follow along with me. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read from verses 7 to 12. it says this, Jesus speaking. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will his father, give him a, his father will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, in all things, whatever you want people to do for you, do also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus, we come before you this morning humbly, humbly, anxious to hear what it is that you have to say. Lord, I pray for this next 45 minutes or so that you would just set me off to the side and that by the power of your Spirit that you would communicate to your people what it is that they need to hear. Lord, minister to your children. Some of us may be asking. Some of us may be seeking. Some of us may may be knocking and even aggressively so. Lord, I, I, I pray that here in this moment that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That you may give us what it is that we need to hear if it's a word of correction or of encouragement lord We trust you with all things We are here to learn from you to hear from you To know you more to grow in affection and in obedience and to understand a greater depth and width what it is that King Jesus has done on our behalf for all of our eternity. Lord, thank you for the life that you have given us, for the salvation that you have made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. And it is in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So what we considered last week was this idea of Asking and seeking and knocking and 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 what what that what that really means and, and and the thrust of it It means it means many things But the thrust of it is is to always keep in mind and to remember that God is a good father he's, he's he's a better father than any father could ever hope to be He is the example that fathers should be that parents should be and we often don't think of him as that for various reasons Uh, But Jesus is imploring us to come to the Father repeatedly, to come to him every single day. Give us today our daily bread. He wants to hear from us. He invites us to live life with him, even here and now, as our Father and as his children. And that's an incredible privilege, the, the depths of which we will spend the rest of our lives trying to just scratch the surface of. We will never know the glory that that means until we get to heaven, but we have a taste of it now. And so the Lord, as a father, invites us to come to him, seeking and knocking, and to come to him in trust. Even if the particular situations or circumstances of our life are not what we expected or what we hoped or even what we prefer at this exact moment, and, they, and, and I don't want to be cavalier. Or I, I know that there's, there's situations that are, that are tremendously difficult, and what, I try, what, I, what I've tried to, to, re, to keep alive in my own heart, the truth that I try to filter life through and remind myself of daily to come to Jesus, the thing that I seek is to remember that he is good no matter what's happening here. There's so many examples in the Bible of human beings who are facing dire circumstances. Death is, is certain and it is imminent. It's, it's a day's away, and people who are rejoicing in the Lord because they trust Him, even if their circumstances are brutal. And I want you guys to know that God is good and trustworthy, even when circumstances are brutal, and to, to fight the temptation of the, that the devil whispers in our ear that things would be better if we did away with Jesus. Things haven't worked out, things haven't paid off in whatever way, shape or form we would prefer them to. And so the the conclusion, the sum of those parts is to do away with Jesus, to turn our back on him, to to remove ourselves from the care of our good father. My, My mission, maybe number one as a pastor is to implore people not to do that. God is good, he's trustworthy, he's a good father. If you have any semblance at all of what a good father is, the, good, the Father in heaven is way better, incalculably better. There's no number that you could say, he's this times many more, he's, he's infinitely good, he's infinitely wise, he doesn't do anything insufficient, he doesn't do anything wrong, he doesn't do anything that is unwise, even slightly, everything that he does is perfect, do you believe in him, do you trust him? Do you know that you can come to him? Do you know that you have that freedom in Christ to come to him as a child? washed in the blood of jesus do you know that it's available to you today at any given time and he's working things out in a way that one day we will praise him you know one of the more convicting stories that i've ever read it was i think it was from it was very convicting but i can't remember where i read it i think it was one of those daily devotional type things and it it was it was written by a, a woman who was recounting the story of israel in exodus chapter 14 fleeing from the egyptians and they come to the impassable red sea and they're doomed right they're going to die everything has fallen apart their plans have failed they had this this big exodus in egypt it was a big what to do and yeah there was lots of plagues that got them out of there but now we've come to the red sea and whoever this yahweh is he can't handle this this is too much for him and you know the story, famously, the Lord parted the Red Sea and they crossed over on dry land. And when the Egyptians got to the Red Sea, the, 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 the sea closed and the Egyptians were killed. And it says in chapter 15 of Exodus that Miriam and all these women sang and they danced to the Lord. Because they were reminded again of how good he is. They were reminded again of how trustworthy he is. They were reminded again that he gives his children freedom. And what this woman said in the daily devotional she said i want to be the kind of person i want to be the kind of believer i want to be the kind of daughter of christ who sings and dances even before the red sea parts i want to be the kind of child of god that worships and and praises him even before the red sea parts i want to trust him that much i want to believe in him that much that was convicting to me i want that too I want that too. Everything that we need for this life is in Christ Jesus. The book of Ephesians hammers this again and again and again and there's nothing wrong with coming to the Lord with sincerity and and, re- and requests and, and and desires and hurts and hang-ups and doubts. I say it all the time. It's what the entire Psalter is about. Every psalm is a crying out to the Lord with all sorts of emotions. Anger, doubt, fear, resentment, but they're honest in their prayers and they're to the Lord. And that's what makes them beautiful. We can come to him and he has an infinite, infinite capacity to give us what it is that we need to provide for us, to care for us. And it's okay to come to him with hurts and hangups and requests. But my challenge is that we, is that, that is not our primary focus because what we, what we really need is Jesus himself and what we have in him we will never reach the depths of. We, there, is, there is no distance into Christ that you can go where you've, hit bo- where you've hit bottom, where you've taxed him out, where he has nothing left to give, nothing left to say, nothing left to teach, no more hugs, no more wiping of tears. There's no depth that we can, that we can go where he is not there, where his love is not there, where his, his fatherhood is not there. Ephesians 1 says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.3 says, In him are all the blessings of wisdom and knowledge. And Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in you the hope of glory. Where else are we going to go? The words of words of Peter. One, one, of the, one of the few moments that Peter got it right, which is encouraging to me. You know the story, John 6. Jesus feeds thousands miraculously, and so they follow him all over the Sea of Galilee because they want breakfast, and Jesus challenges them on that. He says, you're not, you're not here for me, you're here for food. And then he goes on a long teaching about his, his body being true bread and true sustenance, and his blood being true drink and true sustenance, sustenance that lasts into eternity. And it says that many heard him and said amongst themselves, this is a hard teaching, who can bear it? And they turned and left. And Jesus, turning to his closest followers, says to them, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no hope of glory anywhere else. There is no peace anywhere else. There is no forgiveness anywhere else. There is no life anywhere else except in Jesus, and he brought himself to us. His love moved towards us in action. Do we trust him? He knows what we need. Everything that we need is in Him. We don't need things. We don't need circumstances to get better as much as that would be awesome. And I know that some of you might even hate that I just said that. But what we really need is Jesus. What we really need is Jesus in the storm, Jesus in the pain, Jesus in the financial reversal, Jesus in our confusion and our doubts and our anger and our hostility. What we need is Jesus. He's willing to go into that with you. You don't got to fix that and then start knocking. You can knock about that. He wants to hear from you. Again, read the book of Psalms. What we need to understand more is the depth of the things that are available to us in Jesus, the hope that is available to us in Jesus, the peace that is available to us in Jesus, the peace that surpasses understanding. Part of what that means is that we're at peace because we have hope in a God who is alive, who has promised us life eternal, that's immortal, that is full, not just the length of time, but the the quantity of time, but the quality of life eternal. It's an eternal time and it's a perfect time. It's life with him. No more sin, no more crying, no more pain. We have that ahead of us and he has promised that all things work for the good. We have that. We need that in our pain. We need to be informed by that in our pain. And he may bring us in, he may bring us out of it, I can't guarantee that, and I can't speak to every specific situation that's happening in a room this big, but what I can say is that we need to go deeper into what the riches that Jesus has for us, because they are there, and he invites us to day after day after day ask and seek and knock. In the words of children, it's okay to go to your father and bug him. It's okay. He went to the cross for you, Romans 8, 32. What else else are you going to ask for him that he's like, now that's pushing it, you know? He's a good father, and he invites us to come to him. And so he will keep supplying our needs and caring for us until he calls us home. Matthew chapter six is still in scripture. Here it is, for this reason, verse 25, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you eat or what you will drink or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They do not, they're, not, they're not lazy, but they're not stressed. You know, they work and they're okay. They do, they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them, and oh, are you not so much more value than they? You being worried can't add a single cubit to your lifespan. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, they do not spin, and yet... Not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, the grass of the field which is alive today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but your heavenly Father. Do you see the sunset this morning? <laughs> the sunset. <laughs> this is service number two. I'm hungry, you know. Did you see the sunrise this morning? The God that did that, he knows. He knows. He knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There it is, that's a promise in scripture. But then we also have John 16, Jesus promised, it was one of the last things he said to his disciples before he was arrested. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. What do we do with that? Well, we take heart. We take heart. The Lord is watching out for us. He's a good father. He won't give us anything evil. Nothing gets to us that doesn't go through him. He'll care for you. And in this life, you're going to have trial and tribulation. It puts us in a place where we have no other option. We can't put God in a box. We can't predict what he will or will not do at any moment. It puts us in in a position where we have to just trust him daily. We have to trust him daily. We have to trust him relationally and not become slaves to worry and idolatry. Life would be better if I just had this thing or that thing or if if this trouble or trial went away friends I'm not trying to diminish the troubles and trials that you might be experiencing but I'm trying to tell you that there is a bomb for them that is beyond the walls of this world and his name is Jesus and he wants you to come to him and so Jesus says you know these aren't just like individual block teachings that you can they you they can be that you can you can come to them as that but this is one sermon Jesus says I know what you need I know what you need And I love you. Now come and ask and come and seek and come and knock. I'm a good father. You, you fathers who are even evil have some sort of idea how to do good by your kids. How much more the heavenly father, I see you, I know what you need. Come to me and with that kind of care and with that kind of grace and with that kind of love buttressing us against the world, go out and love people show people kindness show people the kind of love that i have given you and don't expect them to return that love to you but go and love them anyways this is something that we do as i as i was thinking about this this is there's i think that there's there's many categories here but i just want to talk about three quick things uh, regarding our or three motivations regarding the love that we can show people. Love, uh, a quote-unquote act of love can be something that we do. It could be something that we don't do. Somebody could could offend us, could do something to us. Every one of you in traffic knows what I'm talking about. You get in traffic. A big one for me is the guy who turns on his blinker like three and a half miles before he turns, but he drives like he's going to turn at any moment. Bruh. I'll to be honest, you know, when I'm on my motorcycle, I just, I, 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 the shoulder's my best friend, dude. I will just go around him. But you want, like, you know, you just, that thing rises up inside of you, but you don't do it. You don't say, it. maybe you don't even honk. You don't ride his bumper, maybe you chill. Or you can do things for somebody actively. You can actually not just refrain from doing something, but you can actually do some act of love. But a lot of times, whenever we do that, if we're really honest with ourselves, we might, we, we, we're prone to, to, we would never use the word karma as Christians. But we might think that way, like, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put good out into the world. I'm going to do nice to somebody because then they'll do nice to me. Or maybe even, I think, maybe even more grievous is that we'll do nice to somebody and then God's kind of in our pocket. He kind of owes us one. I could have said that thing and I didn't. Right on. The beach is that way. You know, we get all, all, all humble swole. Or we do something nice, and we think, well, now that I've done something nice, they owe me one. We can, we can get into this like, well, if I do good, then good will come back. If I do good, then it will be reciprocated back my direction. And that's giving or fasting or praying in the same way that the Pharisees did. Jesus said, never mind the praying and the fasting. Why are you doing it? Don't do it for the same reason that the Pharisees are, because they think that they're going to get paid. That's basically it. They're gonna, get, they're gonna get accolades, they're gonna get applause, they're gonna get pats on the back. Don't do that, don't do that. We can, we can fall into this idea of sort of this karmic motivation or we can go into self-preservation mode. And this one I think is big, sort of this like, it's this self-preservation slash fear. Maybe um, I can think of several instances of this and I'm not gonna share any specifics, but something happens and you wanna say something vindictive or hurtful or you wanna do something, but you know that the person might be bigger and tougher than you, so you don't, right? You don't poke a bear in the eyes, but it's not because you care about the bear, it's because the bear will eat you. Like there might be this self-preservation thing. You know, I'm going and man, I, re, I remember, you know, and I'll, I'll pick on myself here. I've, I've brought this up many, many times before. When I worked in the trades, I'm a, I'm a small guy. I'm 5'9", a buck 60 whenever I got water in my boots. And when I went into the trades, everybody was Josh Abel size, right? Good looking and 6'3". And I was like, dang it, bro. Like I didn't even know people were that big. And I got picked on a lot because I was little. And there were so many times that I wanted to ball up my fist and say something to somebody. And I didn't because they were bigger than me. And they would have done some, this was, this, was, this was like 2006. Like back then things were a little bit more wily. You, you could get hurt and you know, HR wasn't as big of a deal back then. (laughs) The HR guy was probably eating a salami sandwich with his phone off of the receiver. He just didn't care. I mean, these guys would put the hurt on somebody like me. So I kept my mouth shut for self-preservation. I didn't love these guys. I wasn't exercising self-control in the name of Jesus. I wasn't exercising self-control because I wanted to manifest the love of God to these people. I didn't want to get punched in the face. And that's a motivation. We, self-preservation, fear, we don't want discipline. Some of you might obey the speed limit all the time, and I'd, be, I, you know, I'd bet the 11 bucks in my pocket you'd do it because those stinking flashing cameras are everywhere. I got two in one week once. Harley Davidson, what are you gonna do? So we do things to self-preserve. We do things out of fear of discipline. We do things because maybe we'll get, we'll get some perks and bennies back, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 wipe, wipe those, mo- those motivations off. Because here, here, and you know this is true. If you do something nice for somebody with the motivation of I'm going to get something nice back, maybe even just a smile and a thank you, and the person just takes what you gave them and they turn a cold shoulder and they walk away. There is that, like, you feel like your power level went down a little bit. Like, you feel a little like that didn't work out the way that I hoped. Well, f- fine. Then I'm going to hold on to mine. I'm going to ball this up. I ain't going to do this for you. Who are you? It's, um, you're unworthy of my gentleness. You're unworthy of my kind. We can get into that, right? It's easy to do, and I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of this. Fear of discipline, self-preservation, karma, this, this, this feeds right into what, you know, what Jesus is saying here is quite radical. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's many, I almost, I almost wrote out the list just to really drive the point home, but it was so dry and it was so boring. But many, many, many ancient thinkers and philosophers said something like this, but just completely reversed. And the one, the one example that I'll give is from uh, an old Jewish rabbi named Hillel who said, what you don't want others to do to you, don't do to them. If it hurt, if you think it would hurt you, if it would bother you, if it would offend you, don't do that to other people. But the problem with that is that then all you have to do, if you really let, is just ignore people, all you got to do is isolate yourself. The best thing to do is nothing. Just go back into your little self-preservation bubble and ignore the world around you, because then you won't offend anybody. And this just requires that you stay inward-focused and self-preserved. When Jesus tells us that love goes out. It intentionally and even sometimes recklessly just goes out. So we tend to do nothing out of fear of retaliation or discipline or karma, that sort of thing, and this may be utilitarian. There might be some value in me not mouthing off to that six-foot Irish guy I was telling you about, Tom, my old journeyman. There may be some utility to that because I keep my teeth, but it's not virtuous. It's not the the selfless love that Christ calls us to exercise. It's not going into someone's world. It's not going in with love. It's not going in with selflessness and philanthropy and grace. It's not giving somebody a shoulder to cry on. It's not giving somebody your ears. It's, It's avoidance. And what Jesus is giving us here is do unto others as you would have them do unto you do do unto others what he's giving us is this natural and fruitful response that comes from embracing the love that he has for us and really understanding it to a greater depth. A a heart that is watered and and nurtured by the presence of God, the Spirit, alive inside of us, that produces love for others, even those that we consider, quote-unquote, undeserving. Because, friends, I can tell you that when it comes to the gospel, we are sorely undeserving. I, I can't even think of an English word strong enough. We are so undeserving. So how do we wrap our minds around this? How do we, I do, I, I do the karma thing. I think, well, if I do good, they'll do good back. They'll pay it forward. Or I won't, you know, self-preservation. I won't pick a fight with a guy bigger than me. And I won't, I won't say something that might offend, like what, how do we, Jesus says this. He says, do unto others as you would have them do to you for this is the law and the prophets in matthew 22 a lawyer asked jesus right about verse 35 36 and into 37 and following a lawyer asked jesus what is the greatest of the commands and jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and the second like unto it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love of God, this, this love of people, this supernatural ability, this buoyancy, this tenacity, this stick this durability to love the world even when it's pelting you with rocks comes not from our own motivation, not from the idea of karma, not from any, not anything that's selfish. It's understanding a grace that we didn't deserve and then just blowing that all over the world. You're just a recipient and then you throw it out to the people that are around you. And this comes from understanding the love that God has for you, what it is that Jesus did for you. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. And so if we go back to the law and the prophets, if we look at the Old Testament, which is the only Bible that they had when Jesus was teaching this, we see grace, we see love, we see Jesus all over the place. And we see our sin. We see our failures. We see our insufficiency and our inability and our sin everywhere. But our treatment of others will be informed and progressively reflect the love that God has for us. The Ten Commandments, the Prophets, the Torah, the Old Testament at large all point to us needing to love God and needing to love others and our inability to do so, our failure to do so every step of the way. It documents it in very great detail Sometimes it's hard to read Sometimes it's hard to read because I read it I'm like these people are so stupid and I'm just like them You know They're so bullheaded and I'm just like They're so selfish and I'm just like them But it also points to God's grace It points to the Lord coming in Stepping in with grace Time and time and time And time again The Ten Commandments In Exodus are written because we violate every one of those commandments. You shall, ha- you shall have no other gods before me. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet anything that your neighbor has. This is written because that's what we do. In our hearts, in our hearts that are, that are marred by sin, disconnected from God, dead to righteousness, completely self-absorbed and autonomous and hedonistic, this is the kind of people that we are. It's why the world is such a mess because we covet our lust rises up inside of us we want and so we kill or we steal and the bible tells us to be different for the sake of the lord i'm going to read seven or eight verses out of leviticus chapter 19 you don't have to turn there just listen listen along with this these are the words of the lord to to his people now when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap to the very corners of your field nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest nor shall you glean your vineyard nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard you shall leave it there for the afflicted and for the sojourner i am yahweh your god for the for in the name of the lord leave something for somebody else let somebody else glean let the let the sojourner come let the afflicted come you shall not steal nor deal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another you shall not bear witness falsely by my name excuse me I did that last service too I don't know why I'm reading it that way you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God I am Yahweh you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him the wages of a hired man shall not remain with you overnight and until morning you shall not curse a deaf man Or place a stumbling block before a blind man, but you shall fear your God, I am Yahweh. The way that you treat people is connected to the way that you feel about the Lord, that you understand him. Don't treat people this way, fear me, remember me. The Lord says, you shall do no injustice in judgment, nor shall you be partial to the poor or defer to the great but you shall judge your neighbor in righteousness. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That sounds exactly like Matthew 5. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say, do not hold a grudge against your brother. You may surely reprove your neighbor so as to not bear sin because of him, but you shall not take vengeance. You shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am Yahweh. You know, <clears throat> I read that and I and I see I am I am the Lord. Fear the Lord. I am Yahweh. When I before I before I was following the Lord and trying to do all the things that Jesus told me to do, I, it didn't really bother me that I had a bad reputation. I didn't have a, I didn't have the worst reputation in town, but I didn't have a great one. And it didn't there it didn't bug me that much you know, he, you know lying manipulative party animal you can't really depend on him he's a hot mess get his act together can treat people improperly can be vindictive and manipulative I can be all, I could be I could be all these things and if I had that reputation it didn't really bother me all that much but when I read these words I think friends we are representing the Lord with our words and with our actions you shall not hate your brother in your heart fear the Lord your God do not put a stumbling block before a blind man don't turn, a deaf, don't turn your, your ears away listen pay attention love don't harbor resentment I am the Lord your God love your neighbor as yourself this is a reflection of God to the world it's what the church is you will be my witnesses Jesus said part of what that means is that we will be his reflection how are we doing with that the, the, the answer is not to beat ourselves up and, 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 I don't know, punch ourselves in the head and stupid, stupid, stupid. That's not, that's not the answer. Where there, is, where, there is, where there is breath in our lungs, grace is new every morning. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins because he is so good. He is so good. And that goodness will and should slowly, maybe ever so slowly, but will, will and will definitely turn us into people that love those, even those that we think are unworthy. Because we will grow in realization and in the weight of the fact that I am so unworthy to receive the gospel. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. Good grief. Who am I to withhold a good thing from someone who needs it? Because I may not like them. The law and the prophets. There's all these stories, the law and the prophets, right? There's all these stories, there's all these, these rules, there's all these laws, there's all this, all this guidance in the Old Testament, laws of, 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 there's cleanliness laws, there's sacrificial laws, there's periods of time where if you, were, if you were ceremonially unclean for some reason, then you'd have to leave the camp for a week, but then you could come back. There's all this stuff in the law and the prophets. And all of it, it's pointing to our sin and God's grace. Our sin and God's grace. Everything was a grace. In the Old Testament, there was so much grace pointing to a, a much greater grace that was to come. Every washing ceremony, which was this, this temporary cleansing from sin, didn't, didn't actually Cleanse us of our sins the, the New Testament says that the blood of bulls and rams cannot actually take away sins But the blood of Jesus Christ the washings were an image Pointing they were a sign that were signifying the one who was to come they pointed to Jesus who can ultimately and Actually cleanse you of your sins because he is sinless Never sinned in word, thought, or deed. The sacrifices, how many millions of animals were sacrificed in the temple for our sin? Symbolizing that sin causes death. The wages of sin is death. Something had to die. Well, the animal died instead of you, but that was an image. It was temporary. It was a period of time pointing. It was a grace pointing to the one, the Lamb of God who will actually take away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God come down in human flesh, truly God and truly man for our benefit. The specific, man, I love this, if you've ever read the specific cultural rituals uh, and, uh, and rules in practices of the Israelite people there's all these lists of what they can eat, and what they can't eat, and what they should wear and who they should marry. And it was because the Lord was was making holy and separate for himself a people. And that was a grace. It kept them it kept them safe from disease it gave them an identity but it also is a is a grace pointing to the fact that one day we're going to be in heaven with jesus as his people no longer slave free gentile jew every color every skin every ethnicity every every type of worship style all of the creativity multicultural come together living stones born again of the spirit of god in heaven with jesus for eternity that's going to be that's home imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, amen? That's a hope. That's what we have ahead of us. That was a grace pointing to a greater grace to come. The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. It was giving this, the, God's manifestation of the cloud and the pillar of fire was giving the Israelites guidance on where to go, which was a grace pointing to a greater grace who is Jesus who guides and directs us to this very day. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophets. Every victory and battle in the Old Testament, every release from bondage, every release from slavery and from oppressor was a grace symbolizing freedom. Freedom from oppression, freedom from slavery, freedom from bondage, but it was, that was pointing to Jesus who sets us free ultimately from the ultimate dominion, the kingdom of darkness, which is sin and death and the devil. And Jesus pulls us out of that. He gives us a way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the our freedom. He brought to life. He brought to light immortality. We have that in Him. Every prophet and every high priest in the Old Testament, which was someone who stood in the pre, in between the people and God the Father. Jesus came as the ultimate high priest. First Timothy two five says, "One mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ." And there was the tabernacle, symbolizing. And was God's presence with the Israelites through their desert wanderings and then was the temple whenever they landed in in Jerusalem. God's presence there in the midst of them, even through their their backsliding and and their complaining and their whining and their anger and their frustration and their cluelessness and their desire to go back to slavery in Egypt and melting down all the gold from Egypt to create this golden calf, even then, even then, The temple of God was there, the tabernacle was there, the Lord was in their presence. But then New Testament, the tabernacle is obsolete because the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word there is he tabernacled among us. The presence of God came down. Truly God, truly man. The arithmetic is mind-blowing. It doesn't make any sense, but here he is. Come to seek and to save that which is lost. The temple is obsolete. We have Jesus. Jesus ascends after his death and burial and resurrection and sends his Holy Spirit to indwell every single one of us. And this is now our opportunity to reflect God's love by the power of his Spirit to the world around us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus came down. Matthew, Matthew 1, a son will be born and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us the tabernacle what it represented and what it was was fulfilled in jesus the son of god came to earth the temple is obsolete the lord was in our presence jesus god in the flesh lived a perfect life in no way shape or form did he sin at any time and we killed him and i love that it's it's something that we know It's something that I've said before, but it's something that we easily forget. Jesus didn't come to earth, born as a baby, live to be 33, about, with no sin, and then ascend to the Father. He didn't come as a 33 year old on a Thursday, get crucified on a Friday, and then raise and then ascend into heaven 40 days later. He did all of that. He came as a baby. He lived a full life for 33 years, and then he died, and then he was buried. He can relate to you. When you knock, when you ask, when you seek, he's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He gets it. He hears you. He loves you. Do you believe it? Do you see his sacrifice? Do you see him condescending to earth, setting aside his heavenly crown to put on some sandals and work as a carpenter, to get splinters and hangnails and blisters, and to be killed as a common criminal? Never sinning but being killed for sin. Never sinning but paying the price of sin. Being at one with the Father, the the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. It's too holy for me to even make mention of more than that. I don't understand it, but somehow, somewhere in there because Jesus took on our sins, he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that so that we would never have to say that. He did that so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. He did that so we wouldn't have to be separated. He is the way back to bridging that separation that our sin has caused? Do you trust that he loves you? So the Old Testament points out again and again and again our unworthiness, but God's grace to us anyways. The Sermon on the Mount points out to us our unworthiness and God's grace to us anyways. In Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says this, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but I came to fulfill. And he did, and now he tells us to live out the implications of that. He, filled, he, he fulfilled the law and the prophets because we couldn't. Therefore, whatever you want someone to do to you, do that for them, for this is the law and the prophets. He has fulfilled all righteousness. He has given us His perfect righteousness. He has never sinned ever. And His perfect righteousness, His perfect life, is given to us. And now He tells us, live it out. Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that. But He knows it. And He did it for us. When He cried out, It is finished. This is what he was referring to. The righteousness of God is the law has been satisfied perfectly. And now you can be given that perfect righteousness in the name of Jesus, and you live in that freedom. And that love that we receive, that grace that we receive, oh, Lord, help us, should go through us and to others. So we can love like him. His love comes to the unworthy, and that's us. And the more that we understand God's love, and this is, this is my prayer, that we would understand God's love more and more and more and that our hearts would actually be transformed and renewed, that, that, our, that, our, that our care for sinners, for our care for those who reject Christ, though, and, and, and those who just need a lift, you know, the whole spectrum, <laughs> that we would actually, in the name of Jesus, want to show them Jesus by caring for their everyday needs here and now. And this isn't, we don't have time to get into this, but this isn't just a blank check, right? We, we, di- we talked about this a few months ago. It's not, it's not wise to, if somebody's struggling with substance abuse or, or any other thing and we, and we just give them money. That's, you know what I mean. That's not what I'm referring to. Wise love, considerate love, love with discernment. And love with discernment sometimes is really hard. Tough love is something that our culture is really bad at. It's hard to do. We're bad at it because it's hard to do. May we love like Jesus, who in once <laughs> once he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And then he points his fingers at his disciples. He's like, "Well, if you who are evil know how to get good gifts, it's like, well, which one is it? It's both. We're evil. We need a savior. Oh, but he loves us. He knows what's good for us. May we love the world with that kind of wisdom, with that kind of discernment, with that kind of thought." without expectation of any reciprocity or reward from the world around us if we think that if we do good for others that they'll do good to us we will stop because they don't they won't even among believers how easy is it just oh thanks man and split the lepers in luke chapter 11 let's not fall into the trap of expecting to be rewarded for our good deeds in this life here. And now and I and I and I'd like to I'd like to touch on on this. I know that there's a lot of people who are at labor, heavy labor doing things for others and and it's legitimate. You're in your prayer circles, you get up early, you 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 hand out food, you lead Bible studies and prayer groups and community groups and and all of these things, you, you babysit children so that moms and dads can have a night off or can, can, can take care of the mortgage bill a little bit. So you take, them, you take the kiddo from 3 to 5 in the afternoon. so that they, you, you guys are laboring in the name of love and in the name of Jesus, and you feel like nobody sees you. You feel like nobody's paying attention to you, and it's starting to, to wear you out. Is it enough that the Lord sees you? Jesus said, the righteous will shine like the sun in my Father's kingdom. Maybe you're not seen right now. Maybe you think no one's paying any attention. And maybe nobody here is, but God sees you. Remember, pray in your closet. When you fast, wash your face. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and vice versa. Your Father who is in secret will see in secret, and He will reward you. He sees you those of you who are behind closed doors, those of you who are doing the 3 to 5 a.m. shift with the youth, the street kids, the fill in the blank, serving the Lord and you feel like your wick is coming to be snuffed out, he sees you. He sees you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. The world may not, probably won't but your Father sees you, the good Father who is in heaven. Not a hair on your head he doesn't have accounted for it. Not a bird falls from the sky that he doesn't take notice of. He sees you. Believe that. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets by laying down his perfect life for us. His love wasn't for reciprocity. His love wasn't for self-preservation. His love was not for fear. His love was a genuine, godly love that moved out and not only did he make himself vulnerable, but he got really hurt. Love that risks, love that goes out, that moves towards people at the risk of getting taken advantage of and hurt is a godlike love, and your Father sees you. And my prayer is that we will be so enraptured, so caught up, so moved, that we would, see, we would see the sunrise at 5 a.m. and think, that, that, that God who's doing that right now loves me. He knows my name. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows my plight. If he's paying attention to the birds, good grief, he's paying attention to me. He gave, he gave his son. He didn't withhold his son. What is he not going to give? Believe that. Do you believe that? He's that good that we would be so moved by that that we would reflect it to the world around us. Jesus is worth reflecting. Amen? Amen.